We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snacket Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will Smart Food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Sweepstakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void but prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. Hello, friends. It is Josh Bowe and Kirk Henderson, and we are coming to you for a sort of special edition of the Mavs Moneyball podcast. Uh, we are previewing the upcoming playoff series with the Dallas Mavericks and the Los Angeles Clippers. And, you know, it's very funny. Josh and I just had kind of a pregame or pre-show talk, and there's there's a lot of different ways we could go with this. Usually, when it, we were so excited last year about the playoffs where we kind of mapped out all of our, our playoff preview coverage. We did a ton of stuff, ton of work. And then when it comes down to it, playoff preview stuff has a shelf life. <laughs> mm-hmm. and, and we, you know... We want to approach this uh, with the cat. You know, we don't want to exactly approach it with the casual nature of the Mavericks playing a sub 500 team, but we, we at the same time, like the, there's just, there's only so much you can talk about, about a team that you've seen before. And so with, with that, I, I, I think we should sort of jump, jump right in, but Josh, how are you? I'm good. Uh, I will just let the listeners know that I almost drove Kirk to insanity because he, to do a little inside baseball behind the scenes of how good I am at planning. He messaged me at like sometime in five o'clock in the afternoon. and was like, let's podcast tonight. Can you do that? And I was like, yes, I can. In fact, like let's do this. And I even gave him times uh, at eight 30 central time. And then nine o'clock central time came by and I was talking in Slack and Kirk was like, Hey buddy. And I'm like, Oh, uh, I failed. So I think it's like, I want to blame the baby because she was having a, a crying fit, but Kirk knows me well enough to know that even if the baby did not exist yet, uh, this probably still would have happened. So uh, I'll just chalk that up to uh, to a lot of dead brain cells over the last five years. Well, speaking of dead brain cells, what's about <laughs> to happen with the Dallas Mavericks might involve some dead brain cells by the time we're done with it. Uh, you know, in terms of big season, you know, a look at the season games that they played. They played a a fifty point blowout, and then they played a back to back. Was it right after All Star break? Kind of. It was like a five game stretch. 
Yep, really it was stretch. it was their third, it was their second and third games after the All Star break, and they split with those two games. Uh, mm-hmm. So they somehow didn't they, or did they lose both? They split. Yeah, okay. They're basically it, they're they're like mirror games. Uh, yes, it's really funny. Yes, and I think if. And I, for those who haven't listened to me talking with Sabrina Merchant to, uh, on uh, Wednesday, I recommend you go back and listen because she sort of said that that was the last time that the Clippers were whole uh, because Serge Ibaka's missed a huge chunk of time. And they've just had enough injuries, though they're kind of coming together healthy now. And when I look ahead to this game, what I really think is I, I think back – to uh you know august september of 20 you know whenever the heck the playoffs were in 2020 down in orlando and this feels there's just not much that's changed in terms of big picture looks at both of these teams the clippers seem to be in a better place than they were um maybe it's because quiet Kawhi and paul george are like practicing together uh but they still did you know they still sort of underperformed because they're a four seed uh, in, in, a, in the Western Conference, and they've kind of been looked at as a top two team. And they they tanked to play their way to the Mavericks, which sort of says something about how they feel in their own confidence. Coach Teron Liu had a kind of crazy quote yesterday that reminded me of the Mike, Mike Gundy, uh, I'm a man, I'm 40 thing about how he doesn't care what people say online about the strategy, which means he absolutely cares about the strategy. Don't of, put in the tanking. newspaper that I was mad. Right, right. Very drill. Um and it, I, I, I see, you know, I, I still think back to, to Marcos, uh, one of my Twitter followers telling me that the Mavericks have a low floor and a high ceiling. And that's how I feel about this playoff series to where my, my, my brain is telling me the Clippers are better. Therefore, the Clippers are going to win. But I see just enough aspects of the Mavericks coming out firing and really stealing momentum away from the Clippers. Is that crazy? No, that's that's I think that's why this Mavericks team has driven people crazy this season, which I coincidentally wrote about and published today about how it seems like when you follow this team online, everyone is losing their minds over it. And I think that's why um, your friend, a friend of the site, uh, my online online acquaintance, I would say, uh, Matt Moore had the hilarious stat that. Dallas versus teams with top 10 in point differential this season. They're ninth in offense, third in defense, third in point differential, 11 and two record. I mean, that's top 10 point differential teams. Dallas versus bottom 10 teams in point differential, 18th in offense, 28th in defense, 24th in point differential, uh, 14 and 10 records. So just kind of goes what we've been seeing. They, they kind of slog through the games against the bad teams. They re- they rested a lot of players, but when they've played good teams, they have generally been up for it when they've been fully healthy. So the split, I felt like, was really potentially indicative of what this playoff series could go by. You know, it was basically the Clippers blew out the Mavericks, basically led them by double digits the whole way. Then the Mavericks kind of did the same thing uh, the very next game. And I could just see this being like maybe Clippers win game one by 12 and the Mavericks win game two by 14. Cause they make their adjustments. Uh, and Rick Carlisle has such an advantage, you know, in the playoffs. Cause this is usually, this is when he unloads the bag of tricks that he's been saving all season. Uh, so yeah, I totally see it. I mean, we've seen this Mavericks team beat top 10 teams somewhat consistently all season. Uh, and their bugaboo was they just couldn't beat the, 
the bad teams consistently. So it's just weird. It's a it's a weird feeling because usually that's that's reversed. You don't follow a lot of teams like the Mavericks that have that have these really weird trends. Uh, not to mention the fact that they've spent the majority of the first quarters this season losing. Mm-hmm. Uh, that first quarter stat is absolutely hilarious, the 27-0. and 0. So it's it's weird. It's hard to get a feeling on this team, and especially with everything that happened this season with COVID, condensed schedule. Like, there's so much that I'm just like, what is real and what is not real? And I feel like we won't know until this playoff series is over. And so here's – so I, I think at this point – we should talk a little bit about some of the data that you got into just looking at the Clippers today. And it can't properly be stated. Well, I mean, we're going to try. But the Clippers on paper are so much better than the Mavericks. <laughs> I mean, it's a fucking yeah. chasm of difference. The Clippers are, their offense is better this year than the Mavericks record-breaking offense last year. They are mowing teams down and we primarily don't hear about it because they're the Clippers, because there's been a lot of drama in Los Angeles and in the play-in, but the Clippers have just sort of bebopped around to a team that has like, I mean, if, if you put Luca with these shooters, Uh, you might have the best offense by a bajillion miles. Like they have so many good shooters who are connecting on threes. Talk, talk to us a little bit about what you dug into today. Well, Kirk, they have nine rotation that I would say nine legitimate rotation players that shoot 39% or better from three. Um, that's outrageous. Like, <laughs> how many players do the Mavericks have that do that? Yeah, exactly. The Mavericks have been running a seven man rotation for the last two months. Uh, basically everyone the Clippers play besides uh, uh, Iveka Zubak uh, and Serge Ibaka, who is actually kind of dipped. Like he's normally like a pretty de- – like he's an average three-point shooter. He's at 30, basically 34%. Everyone else they play uh, in their rotation makes threes. And I'm not, I'm not joking. Um, the, 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 the team leaders in games played, Zubak leads the team in games played. Obviously, he's, not a, he's, a, he's a center. He's not a three-point shooter. Uh, but then it's Batum, 40%. Uh, Reggie Jackson, 43%. Terrence Mann, 41.8%. Luke Kennard, 44%. Marcus Morris, 47%. Then you get to Paul George and Kawhi Leonard, 41 and 39%, respectively. Um, Patrick Patterson, 35%. Patrick Beverly, who's going to try to, you know, I think maybe play more games this series than he did last year. He's, they seem to have kind of been holding him out for the playoffs. He's 39%. Uh, Rondo, <laughs> Rajon Rondo, our old pal, uh, obviously he's not a high volume guy, but in the 18 games he's played since being traded for the Williams, he's shooting 43% from three. Uh, it's outrageous. And oh, by the way, like two of the names I mentioned, Paul George and Kawhi Leonard are all defense capable wings so i still like last year when i was doing this playoff preview and writing the playoff preview i was like this is the most talented roster in the nba and i don't Mm -hmm. think it's even close and i don't think anything has really changed like just on paper this is a this is a crazy collection of talent uh that all shoot well usually when you get talent that you you accumulate this much talent in the NBA with the way the cap space is and how you can kind of divvy up the money. 
maybe the, the the fit isn't all the way there but on paper the fit is here because usually it's like oh well this guy isn't a good shooter or you know like remember when the 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 lebron and, and wade and, and bosch joined the heat the big thing was like well they're not there's not a bunch of shooters they kind of had to develop into that like a little bit like all these guys can shoot uh so like even if the parts don't fit perfectly like if everyone can shoot that kind of makes that kind of makes things a lot easier to fit together like if if some guy doesn't have the ball at least he's an off ball threat because all these guys are shooting 40 percent from three uh it's outrageous i don't think there's any other team in the nba that is close you know maybe the jazz they are the only other team that can come close to this this depth of of offensive talent in terms of just shooting the basketball which is like the whole point of the game yeah uh, i the guarding them becomes such a problem in a hurry because you know not to crush my my wonderful our wonderful friend bobby corrala but his tweet about the mavericks having good rules i'm just gonna dunk on him with that for the end of time if the mavericks either this is like the fifth time you've brought it up because it's such a silly thing to say as much as i understand why he said it because at some point rules meet reality and so if you're forcing a good shooting team to take good shots, what does it matter? The good shooting team is likely to win out over the over the long haul, and it, particularly in a seven-game series, just the way it goes. And I, I just don't know what the Mavericks are going to do if, I don't know, th- this kind of comes back to, the thought of of Porzingis has to be the player that the Mavericks wanted him to be on defense. If he is a challenge on defense, if he can't move, then this series has a has a opportunity to be ugly quickly. Um, I'm hoping that that's kind of the case because it's just there. Man, I'm going to be very interested to see what kind of game, like pace, this game is played at, because the Clippers, you know, this has kind of been for, forgotten to history because Luca's game performance was so impressive, but what was lost to that performance is the Mavericks were down 20 in that game, and the Clippers simply took their foot off the gas, and this very quickly could have been a gentleman's sweep had that, you know, had the Clippers not done that, and I just don't see them doing it again. They seem to be in a better place headspace-wise. They seem to like their coach a lot more. I think Doc Rivers had kind of worn them out. I personally believe that Rick Carlisle can coach circles around Tyrone Lou. But if they're at such a talent disadvantage, the Mavericks are going to have to find some inefficiencies in the game. And when you just look at like kind of the raw numbers in the advanced numbers, I, I'm not sure where the Mavericks go from here because, you know, we didn't, I, we talked about this a lot last year, like Zubak guarded Luca on, a, in terms of a, a big man switch as good as any big in the league. And, and so they just have this, this fleet of six foot seven to six foot nine dudes to throw at Luca and length is all that really bothers him anymore. You know, like strength certainly does it. He's as strong as Kawhi. Like that's the thing that I think that that was one of my fun takeaways from the series last year. And I'm just, I don't know. I, I, I'm really wondering where the spots are for the Mavericks to to take advantage of. Are are, are you seeing any when you kind of look into this? Yeah, and you you kind of touched on a bunch of things I want I want to follow back up on. When you talk about one of the first things you said about guard, how do you guard this Clippers team? When seemingly every player 
you know, they don't have a guy you can hide a guy on. Like they mm-hmm. just don't play anyone like that. At the very least, like Zubak, he can't shoot, but he is a tremendous uh, kind of spacer, like in a Dwight Powell sense, in, in terms of setting screens and, and knowing where to be around the rim and, and being a good finisher. Kirk, last year in the playoffs, here are the point totals the Clippers scored in those six games. 118, 127. Well, hold on. 118, 114, 130, 133, 154, 111. Mm. Um, and that's with, you know, Dorian Finney-Smith, Maxi Kleba playing. No Chris stops after the, after the last couple of games. But when you consider, like, how much – consider how good the Clippers – scored the ball against the Mavericks in the playoffs last year. Consider that the Clippers are a better roster than they were last season, uh, especially if these guys can can be healthy and play, uh, like Patrick Beverly. Uh, consider that the Mavericks' defense is worse than it was last season. Consider that Kristaps Porzingis' defense has fallen off, however much you want to argue. Like, there's no argument that it has dropped off. How much you want to argue is up for, for greater debate, but it has decreased. Uh, Maxi Kleba has a hurt Achilles, and we do not know the status of him. Um, that's that's bleak. That's a bleak picture. Even if the Mavericks are 100% uh, with the Kristaps uh, decline on the defensive end, this is going to be an uphill battle. And now, you know, Maxi Kleba might not be 100%. Like, it, it, like they're going to have to outscore the Clippers, I think, to really make this a series. Uh, I just don't see where the defense is really going to come into play. Uh, but you talked about looking for some bright spots because you're right, the numbers do overwhelmingly favor the Clippers. I mean, qu- very quietly, the Clippers are second in the NBA in net rating. Uh, they have a top three offense and a top eight defense. Like, they have championship profile written all over their advanced numbers, despite the fact that they kind of took the last three weeks of the season off, which, hey, might if they get all these guys back and they're right, then – that's that's going to be the right call, obviously. Uh, we'll see if they can snap back into it uh, right away in game one. Uh, in terms of where I could see the Mavericks taking advantages, the thing about you know last season was, so they only had Kristaps Porzingis for two and a half games. You can almost argue one and a half games because he got ejected uh, in game one uh, pretty prematurely. They did not have Dwight Powell. Say what you will about Dwight Powell, but he – mattered to this team in the rotation they did not have Jalen Brunson and they did not have Willie Cauley-Stein uh Boban Marjanovic was playing a lot of minutes in the playoffs last Mm -hmm. year like way more than you would expect they didn't have a backup big because they played Maxi and Kristaps then Kristaps got hurt and they played Maxi basically they ran him into the crown guarding Kawhi and being the five basically without a, a proper backup it was basically Boban who you can only play so many minutes um they didn't do they had to bring in trey burke who was obviously great in the bubble but as we you know jalen brunson is a better player than trey burke and we probably would have said that you know at times last year too uh so brunson is going to be huge in terms of helping stave off the clippers depth because that's the thing you know choir paul george hit the bench and they seemingly don't lose too much of a beat because of their depth so brunson's going to be key having powell and Willie Cauley-Stein, you know, they might have some bad games, but the fact that they can take minutes and Boban doesn't have to take those minutes is going to be huge. So, so that's it. And it's, and it's Kristaps and it's, to me, the big thing, the big story of the series is going to be, it feels fairly obvious that uh, Zubak is not going to guard Kristaps right off the bat. 
I, I got to imagine that they're going to put a wing on Kristaps, whether that's Marcus Morris or Kwai or Paul George. They're going to put a wing on Kristaps. They're going to switch all the pick and rolls because they, you know, it's going to be basically similar players guarding, you know, Luca and Kristaps. They're not going to care if Kristaps posts up because I think they'd want that even with Kristaps' improved post-up game. I think they'd rather this Mavericks offense have Kristaps dribbling the ball and taking a turnaround 18-footer than than anything else Luca can do. Uh, and they're probably going to put Zubak on one of Dorian Finney-Smith or maybe even Josh Richardson. And they're going to basically dare those guys to beat them from deep and have Zubox try to wall off the rim. Like I truly believe that's just going to be what's going to happen. And that's not like me being a basketball savant. Like that's pretty, pretty obvious. Cause we saw, we've seen teams do that to the Mavs in the regular season, like the jazz did. Uh, and the thing with Dorian is he's beaten that defense uh, repeatedly this season, much to, to maybe even my surprise, uh, maybe some of yours too, Kirk. I mean, He's closed the season and it really well. Maybe not the last maybe two weeks. He's had a couple of clunkers, but from April till now, he's been fantastic. And it seems absolutely bananas to say this, but the mat the key to the Mavericks' success in the playoffs might rest in the hands of Dorian Finney-Smith. Like him hitting open threes and taking advantage of that space, whether it's making a play and, and moving the ball to the next open man and attacking a closeout. Like, that's kind of it. Like, without it being it, that's kind of it. Like, if he does that, the Mavericks are going to be competitive and maybe win. If he has 0 for 4, 2 for 7, three-point shooting games, you know, 1 for 6, they're going to lose every, They're going to lose every single game that he shoots that poorly, I think. Um, and I know that seems harsh for a guy like Dorian to put it on his shoulders, but I just no, feel the, like – No, the numbers back it up. Like, yeah. if he's if he shoots, like, 35% or better, the Mavs win. If he sh- It's something like this. It's it's probably higher. I want to say it's, like, 38-ish percent. But it, it, it's just one of these these things where if he shoots the ball well, the Mavs win because, like you said, that that the, he helps break the defense. Um, let me ask you something I've been thinking about the entire time you've been talking. I apologize. How – It's okay. I was rambling. How does Luca's improvement in the mid-range yes. change stuff? Well, you talked about Zubak guarding him really well at the rim, mm-hmm. so that's the counter, right? If he okay. can't get by him at the basket, uh, Luca is 48% on mid-range this year. He's 50% on shots in the paint, not restricted area, uh, which is outrageous. And honestly, we probably should be talking about that more. Like that, Those are crazy. They're crazy numbers. Elite numbers. Yeah, like <laughs> – I'm pretty sure he was under 40% for that in the paint, non-restricted area last year. Uh, so it's that's the counter. So if he can't get by Zubox or he can't get all the way to the rim and the Clippers kind of guard him into that, into that mid-range area, he's more than comfortable taking advantage of that. And maybe that's another key, key to the series as well. Uh, in addition to, you know, what's his three-point shot going to be like? Because I feel like ever since he had that really hot run, it's been a little hit or miss since then. Uh, so that's huge. Uh, how much he can take advantage of that mid-range game, like how much are the Clippers going to allow it to happen? Uh, will Luka take advantage of it? Can he hit those shots that he was hitting in the regular season? Like that's probably the next step for him, right? Because last year uh-huh. it was truly – it was just threes or rim. And if teams took those two things away uh, and he, he couldn't get to the free throw line, he didn't really have any other ways to score. Uh, so he has that counter now. So – this is what it's for. It's for the playoffs, especially. So I have a lot of questions, many, <laughs> many questions that, I, that I've just kind of been been rattling around in my head. The first one that, that I just want to kind of fire off is, are there anything, is there anything that the Mavericks, particularly Rick Carlisle, has been doing 
that you think he will completely trash come the this playoff series? Ooh, that's a really good question. Can um, I give you an example of yeah, while, while you think about it? The Jalen Brunson, Trey Burke lineups fucking suck and have <laughs> sucked and continue to suck. And he keeps playing them. I just, I, where I go with, with Rick is, is I think he does some things to throw the scent off. I just do like tape is a real thing. And he's kind of a lunatic about this stuff, which is why he gets so pissy when he talks about any sort of, or he gets questions about any sort of strategy during um, availability. Cause he doesn't want to talk about it. And he he lies through his teeth. All coaches do. Don't get me wrong. But he like takes extra special care. And it just wouldn't put it. I wouldn't put it past him to get this kind of cute to have a whole bunch of stuff. It's why like like I had, I had a conspiracy theory that I shared with some of my Twitter followers about. I really thought if Reddick was healthy, Reddick would start in the playoffs. Just uh, like like Josh Richardson to the to the uh, uh, phantom zone, and and Rick and Carl <laughs> would put. JJ Redick in and only play him like four to five minutes and then figure something out. Like, so that's where my head is in terms of, um, is there anything you think he'll just toss? Um, I don't know. I want to say he might toss the two big lineups, but I don't know. Uh, I would, I, cause I, the money lineup is Dorian at the four. Like, I think that's where they have to get to. And some of the season data backs that up as well. Um, their best lineup all season, coincidentally, was the the Maxi KP, you know Richardson, uh, you know Luca, Finney Smith lineup. You know their normal starting lineup had a twelve point six net rating and almost three hundred minutes. It's just not, not not bad at all for your for your starting lineup. So I'm not sure because he's been tinkering with the lineup down the stretch. He started one big when Kristaps was out, and I think they had really good success. But they were also playing mostly bad teams. Uh, and then the last couple of games, he has done Kristaps and Powell uh, mm-hmm. with Richardson off off the bench. I think the thing will be uh, if we're—I don't know if this is crazy, but I really think there's a good chance that Josh Richardson picks up DNP CDs. Oh yeah, yeah. That's yeah. my hot take, I guess, in terms of a drastic rotational change, because I think his defense is hard to quantify. I think this season because it's hard to tell. How much is him? How much has COVID gotten to him? And then how much is the Maverick scheme potentially holding him back? Uh, but either way, his presence on the floor is not game-changing on the defensive uh-huh. end. And whether that's his fault or not, I don't know. But that's just the, the fact of the matter. Uh, and his offense is so bad. Like, the Mavericks going to have to outscore teams. And I would not be shocked if he's playing, like, seven ten minutes in some of these playoff games if his if his shot isn't there and yep. the offense is getting gunked up well it's funny you bring up the two big lineup porzingis and this is where i just like everybody tells me he's smart right everyone he's smart he knows what's going on and he had this these glowing quotes which brad townsend retweeted about you know talking about how you know, an engaged KP or is a happy KP is an engaged KP, and KP had been talking about how he thinks him and Powell have done some things in practice that will help their defense. Well, I really, I really hope it will help their defense because minutes played with Powell and KP are in the zero percentile for defense. They're the worst in the league. So I'm just like, what is he talking about? <laughs> like. 
He's I, savvy. He he knows how to he knows how to talk to the media. That's I just feel like I'm in a constant misinformation campaign brought about by the Dallas Mavericks and aspects <laughs> of the local media, where I'm just like these things are are publicly accessible. That two like like is talk Franco talked about this today in our Slack. By the time this publishes on Thursday, May twentieth, you know, those of them hearing this, you know. Thursday afternoon, Friday morning, Iztok's going to be put, doing a you know kind of a deep dive stats post at some point, and he, he's talked about this like these lineups stink, and the Mavericks got beat a lot. They I just I feel crazy sometimes because and you know part of it's fun. This is why I don't really consider myself a real media member because I don't you know not knowing what's coming next at this point in the season has elements of like real like that's really exciting. It's also kind of it's wild because you know these Mavericks could do anything in this playoff series. Yeah, and <laughs> you you want to just talk about Chris? We haven't really talked about Kristaps now. You kind of brought him up because he's you're right. You've talked about it before. He's the X factor. We probably yeah. need to get into more him. And I, I agree with you about like not knowing like that. that he was so awesome of... last year. Yeah, so he I'm was looking so at awesome his playoffs last year and the three games he played. He averaged 23 points on 49 from the field, 52 from three, 87 from the line. Here's the thing that really stands out to me in the playoffs last year. Uh, free throw attempts per game, 7.7. He had eight, eight, and seven free throw attempts in those three games. And granted, he played 20 minutes in one of those games and had eight free throw attempts. Uh, Kristaps Przingis has had seven or more free throw attempts this season, and I think – Four games yeah. this season. Uh, his free throw rate is a career low 20.2%, which yeah, is... He just avoid, he's avoiding contact like nobody's business. He wants and, that pull up. Yeah. yeah. Or, and maybe, you know, maybe he's, he's lost a step because he's had two major knee surgeries in, in three years or whatever it is. Uh, but yeah, his I haven't been able to write about it yet, but his offense is almost all jumper. It's all jumper or when he gets assisted to uh, at the basket. Uh, I can't imagine his unassisted shots at the rim are probably anemic compared to where he was at the start of his season in New York. I don't have that up with me right now, but uh, maybe that's something I need to look into as I write for Friday. But yeah, uh, can he get to the free throw line? Because that's that's how you how stars score. Like if you're not someone who gets to the free throw line a lot, you're not. You know, it's going to be hard to put up those big scoring games that teams rely on you for. So we'll see. Um, offensively, it's been a strange season for him because he put up a career-high true shooting percentage by a decent amount. Last year was his previous career-high at 55. Yeah. Uh, this year it was 58. So he's actually shooting the ball better. I think the thing that drives people crazy is offensively is that he is not getting to the free throw line. So he's just – his bad games look worse because he doesn't – like if he has a bad game shooting-wise this season, he's – having a bad game like he's scoring like 11 or 12 points with a bad shooting last year he got away with some of those bad shooting games because he would get to the free throw line six seven eight times uh and it would turn a bad game into an okay game so i think he'd also play he would also play defense yeah he would all yeah that's the other part of it and that's the part that you have been paying a lot of attention to and it's that's tough i don't know what i don't know what the answer is for the defense i don't know if it's if he's hurt if he's if he's letting his foot off the gas and saving it for the playoffs, if there's a legitimate decline between his physical capability and his bot and what his mind wants to do, 
I don't know what it is. I'm interested to hear what you have to say because I know this has kind of been your thing with him in the defense. But I'm just at a loss for where the turnaround comes from with him on the defensive end. I really think it's effort-based. I, I I just do. You think, I think it's more he, so than the injuries? Well, I think the injuries play into his headspace in a very tangible way. But that's why I've been so I was so irritated that he played so poorly these final games. And it's like, oh, he's just got to he's got to get on the floor. Well, you know, I'm sorry. Anybody that's played basketball and goes like if you take a break playing basketball and then you go play again for a while, it takes a while to get your feel. Defense is hard. NBA defense strikes me as borderline impossible. And the Mavericks ask so much of KP. They do. But that's what he signed up for. So I'm, I'm sorry to anybody that I personally offend with my criticism of these things, but this is what he is paid to do. And he has taken a step back and the hope, and I think it's a justified hope, we're going to find out, obviously, which is why, like, you know, season or uh, playoff preview podcasts and, and writing have, have you know, a short shelf life. He could come out looking like a superstar, and we're going to say, okay, he's been kind of playing it close to the vest the whole season. And the main reason is because he didn't want to get hurt. And he hasn't gotten hurt this year. He rolled his ankle. And the ankle, you know, they played it cautious on purpose because the biomechanics of a 7'3 human are complicated. And so – where I go with him is that if he even shows a little bit of life on defense, that's going to be enough. It's going to be, it's going to matter. You know, the Clippers are so good that, that you just kind of, I'm not even talking about getting out of the, you know, the, getting out of the first round, just winning some games. He's just going to matter because his effort level last year and part of why he got hurt and part of why he continues to get hurt is because he, when he plays hard, he lands differently you know, he does like the one-legged like lands on dunks. He chases offensive boards differently. Lord knows when he tore his his uh, his his knee up last season, uh, or which game it was in the playoffs. But he played a whole game with a with a hurt knee. That much has been confirmed by the Mavericks. So he's a tough dude. He wants to play through injury. He wants to do well, but he understands that his body isn't working the way that he wants it to. And so I just I just sit here in my head and I'm wondering. What is going to happen with with him? Because if if he comes out banging, then that's gonna that's gonna throw the Clippers' whole game plan off, and people are going to be yelling at me and calling me an idiot. And I I I, I wish for that. I just do. <laughs> but you know, previous performance is the best indicator for future success. And this season has been atrocious on the defensive end. It just has been. Yeah, what was it? He got a block in the season finale uh, against Minnesota, and this that was his first, his first block in, se- in seven and six and a half games since April sixteenth. Uh, he has a career low block rate, four point one percent. Last year was five point four. Year before that, his season All Star season before he got toward the ACL was six point four. Mm-hmm. I know block shots aren't everything, but the Mavericks funnel a lot of guys to him. Uh, and he's relied on to be a, a rim protector. And so that career low block rate really, really, really sticks out. Uh, and teams are also shooting like 60 plus percent at the rim against KP uh, this season. So, yeah, it's tough because there's all the things you said, and I agree with you. And then there's also the other like part of it, which is that the Mavericks perimeter defense can be so bad that he, he like, you take his bad plays and then you add it to, 
the maver- the guys up in front of him not doing their job either. And it can be a really, really toxic combination. And I think that's when we see games uh, like that Minnesota game where they scored a million points, that Memphis game where they scored a million points in the first half. Uh, we've seen this Mavericks defense have some catastrophic performances. And I think it's that combination of when their perimeter defenders aren't aren't staying in front of their guys, which has happened way too much. And then KP's inability to clean up the mistakes as well as he was last year. Because, I mean, it's not like the perimeter defense has changed all that much from last season to this season. Maybe, I mean, yeah, it's been, you know, I, w- I wouldn't say there's been necessarily a drop there. They're still inconsistent. They were inconsistent last year in terms of staying in front of their man. But KP was basically like a top three or four rim protector in the league last season. I mean, he was he was yep. outstanding. And that's just not there. Uh, no. And it shows in the numbers. It shows in the tape. And well, they're going to need they, – they just need – they need better. They need that better. may be why I get so persnickety about all this stuff, where it's just like the numbers and data show this stuff. This is not me being an asshole. I mean, it's also me being an yes. asshole, but it's just it's it's still there. And so it, if he comes out and and I've you know, that's my hope. I, I really need to communicate that more effectively. I want KP to look like a superstar because there are just there are flashes every game where he does something. That side alley oop thing that he and Luca do where he just like comes out of nowhere like jaws to dunk the ball. Oh my <laughs> god, I love that stuff. You know, the, the Mavericks have in Cuban and all these these people were highlighting this 1.18 point per possession on any sort of pick and roll involving Luca and KP. And they're being they're being kind of annoying about it. Like, see, we told y'all. And it's like, you know, guys, you don't run that. You don't run. the. It's like, OK, well, they have 300 possessions. There's 80, you know, there's 70 games in a season. There's, you know, 100 possessions per game. They can't. I'd be shocked if there was any. You know, they just don't do aspects of the pick and roll near as much. And I've got a hope or not just pick and roll, like, like screens period for KP Luca. That has to be like, they need to milk that play to death. Against yes. The Clippers. That has to be like, and almost every other time or maybe more down the floor type mm-hmm. of action. Like it's almost like any, anytime Luca and KP are on the floor and they do not run a pick and roll together, that's, you can almost chalk that up to as a, a failed possession in a, in a way mm-hmm. that, ha- that has to change. Um, another thing about KP Kirk, I was looking this up also while you were talking about how you kind of talked about how he just needs to be a bigger star presence on the floor. And I was like, Hmm, I, by my rough count, I just did it. So I apologize if I'm off, <laughs> but I think KP only has three games this season of 30 points or more three uh he had four 30 plus 30 or more point games in the bubble alone last year Mm. um it's it goes with the free throws i think because a lot of those bubble free throw all those bubble games like the dude averaged like 10 free throw attempts per game in the bubble and he's averaging what uh how many free throw attempts is he averaging per game he's averaging about Five, pretty, low. Uh, pretty low it's like three oh my god this is terrible um it's it's pretty low uh 3.2 so he's and he's a pretty consistent free he's miss you know he's averaging 20 points a game the bubble kp got an extra seven free throw attempts per game that's basically you know that's six or seven extra points 
and you're looking at KP's box score and he's got all these like 21, 22, 23 point games. Like that's the difference. Like I honestly think that's the difference. And that's why people think that he's having a worse season than he actually right. is right. in some ways, because he's just not having those huge explosive games. And those huge explosive games usually correspond with you got 10 or 11 free throw attempts. And that's just not, it's not happening because he pulls up for for the short mid range jumpers off the glass. Which hey, he's making you know he's making about making them right. He's making them about 40, 40 or fifty percent of those, so that's okay. But uh, he's got to get to the free throw line more. The Clippers are going to switch, so like he's not going to have a big on him. I don't think a lot, so he's not going to have the speed advantage. I don't think. So I'm just curious how he gets his points in this series because if the Clippers play wing wing on KP and Luca, they're just like. <laughs> If Paul George or Kawhi is guarding Luka and Marcus Morris is guarding KP, I mean, the Clippers are going to switch that, right? So then what advantage do you have with the KP Luka pick and roll if that's an immediate easy switch? And now Kawhi, you know, do you try to punish the other guy with with Kristaps and, and see if you can bait them into some fouls with the sight, the height, the height advantage? You know, maybe that's the key, but whatever, wherever it comes from, he just has to produce like a true second star for them to have a chance because the Clippers roster outside of of George and, and Leonard is just so deep and stocked with shooting uh, that it's going to be hard for the Mavericks to match them point for point with the other guys on the roster, I think. Well, we're almost out of time here, but this has been wonderful. I would say, <laughs> you know, just to kind of give a a my prediction is I still kind of think Clippers and six, but if the Mavericks push it to seven games, anything is possible because this team, like, is what we're talking about and what Josh just kind of discussed there for two or three minutes is that the Mavericks, if things work out right for them, they can't really be stopped. <laughs> yeah. Um, it, it's it, We've seen it. I mean, again, they hung, they beat this team by a, by, they had, they were a 50 point margin on this team at one point in, in, in largest halftime lead in history. So I'm really looking forward to it. Josh, what is, what is your prediction? And then we'll get on out of here. Uh, I guess I'm going to be, take the coward's way out and say Clippers in six, because I think that's like the rational level headed, uh, you know, take on that. But like in my heart, I feel like this is either going to like, <laughs> like my non-betting like my heart my gut tells me this is either going to be like Mavericks in six or seven or Clippers in four or five like I kind of feel like if the Clippers are going to win this series it's going to be over pretty soon but if the Mavericks win they're going to stretch this thing out and be competitive like I don't know I just that's what my gut's telling me hopefully I'm wrong uh well hopefully I'm right on the on one side hopefully I'm wrong on the other side so so we'll see uh but I think it can't be so if there's one thing uh, I want to leave this podcast with before we get out of here, um, and I've already gone over our allotted time and Kirk is going to have some fun editing this. Um, like if you're someone who obviously our regular listeners are going to know this, but if you're someone who's getting back into basketball, now the playoffs are starting and you're trying to kind of figure out what's, what's going on. I cannot emphasize enough. The Clippers are a really, really good basketball team. Um, I know that you'll go on Twitter and you'll see a bunch of jokes about Paul George. We'll make them jokes about Ty Lue, you know, all, you know, the dysfunctional stories that came out when they lost last season after in the nuggets in the second round, which is disappointment. I understand all that. I understand that, you know, some Mavs fans were angling for the Clippers because there's like this perception that they're just not a mentally tough team, which might be true. We'll see what happens in this playoff round, but I just can't say just, Watching this team as much as I could this season and looking at the data and trying to analyze this, just the Clippers are are very good. Uh, 
So just realize that, understand that the Mavericks are in for a challenge. They are good enough to pull it off. So we'll see, but uh, it's just, it's going to be a tough matchup. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I, uh, being on the locker room with some of our, our, our wonderful fans and followers, I think a lot of people were kind of in it for, for really looking forward to the Clippers for the emotional aspects of yes, you know, yes. what, what the story would be of like, if Luca beat this team, what yeah, would it's it a mean? good story. It's a great story. Rick Carl beating Rajon Rondo. Great story. <laughs> yes, we didn't, we you know, we've even... not even talked about oh it. Maybe God. we will at a different pod, but it's, it's a lot of fun. So that's, that's kind of where I am now. I agree with you. Like, this is going to be, this is, you know, above all else, you know, it, it came to kind of mind recently. I was talking to to just some fans where it's like, if you go back and look from, you know, the start, if you're a Mavs fan in the late, in the 90s, like period, like old 90s, Ross Pro Jr. ownership 90s, things were very bad. Mark Cuban <laughs> owns the team. And from, you know, they went on a pretty preposterous playoff run from 2000. Let's see here. It's like they lost. They, they only didn't make the playoffs once between like 2001 and 2016. So they're like 14 years of playoff success. Just really some incredible. But at, when you look at that, they really only got out of the first round like three times. <laughs> and the thing that I want to implore upon our fan base is, is getting out of the first round is hard. It means you're one of the top eight teams in the league. And I know where people are like, ah, you know what? This team should be in the top eight. I want them to be in the top eight. Look, Josh and I agree. But these playoff moments are so far and few between where, you know, we could be Kings fans. The Kings fans haven't made the playoffs since 2006. It has been forever. (sighs) That's so okay. crazy. There have been like 14 presidents between then. I had a child. Josh got married. I had a child. You had a child. Like they give, <laughs> they gave us children in that time span. Like there's a lot of things that have gone on. Dirk and had so, long hair and a goatee. <laughs> you hair. I mean hair. Remember yeah. hair? It's a good time. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's it's just something where where you know you wrote the column about why are fans so mad, and I get it. I'm mad. I'm very, I'm mad game to game, big picture. I'm kind of like, ah, you know, this is, this is fun. This is where we're supposed to be. And so if you get a few playoff moments, if you get to watch games with your friends, if you get to like text your friends about it, or, you know, if you're lucky enough, if you're a Mavs Moneyball fan, you get to go to a game, lean in because this does not happen all that often. Getting to the playoffs is really important. And we just don't emphasize that enough. I agree. I agree 100% with everything you just said. Can't say it better myself. Okay, well, that's the last happy-ass thing you people are going to hear from me for a while. <laughs> when the Mavericks <laughs> lose by 15 in game one, we will be here to rip heads off and shit down necks. <laughs> okay, well, so just for, for scheduling purposes, um, I will be hosting a locker room on Friday afternoon, which will go up as a podcast Friday evening. The Mavericks play at 3.30 Central Time on Saturday on ESPN versus the Clippers. We will be all over coverage. If you've not checked out MavsMoneyBall.com, I was I kind of told our staff I wanted everybody to take it easy this week, and instead we had more posts per day than we've had in, a, in, in all season. Everybody's really psyched. So go to Mavs Moneyball, check us out. We'll be doing uh, you know the, the locker room, like I mentioned. We'll be doing post-game coverage. We're going to be all over this until we are done because, you know, we struggle and we fight 
just you know as hard as we can as in terms of hobbyists to get to the playoffs and enjoy this and do as much as we can and so we will be here with you and so please you know like subscribe tell your friends i know that sounds weird but you know <laughs> uh, what i've found for uh, about you know particularly with our locker room is that you know the word of mouth is plays a big deal where it's like oh this is fun you should check it out and people do so josh you got anything else no, I think that's it. I've already blown through our, our time allotment, so let's get, let's get the hell out of here. All right. Okay, guys, this has been Kirk Anderson and Josh Bowe with your special uh, edition of Mavs Moneyball After Dark, the playoff preview, and we will talk to you all in a few days. Today's episode is brought to you by Cars.com. With over 2 million vehicles and 50,000 more added every day, Cars.com will match you with the perfect car for you, your budget, your life, your style. And if you're ready to say goodbye to your current car, Cars.com will get you an instant offer to cash it in. Just start by entering your license plate and get matched with a local dealer who will write you the check. So whether you're looking to buy or sell, just go to Cars.com. It's magical. I'm Mark Chapman. Welcome to the Planet Premier League podcast. Each week, Cesc Fabregas, Nader Manua and myself talk all things Premier League. As a player, you don't have time to talk. No. You don't have time to make a plan. You just need to deal with wave after wave after wave. We watched Coach Carter and he said, oh, afterwards, the game's just about doing this for your teammates. And I remember looking around halfway through the film and half the squad was asleep. <laughs> Planet Premier League. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.